and then asking them to repeat back in a meaningful way what you just said and then expecting to do the same thing the next day. There are children who will be unaware you wish to communicate anything to them if you don't do it this way. We are all this way spiritually. All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to their own way, Isaiah 53. So how do we get found again? God has to get in our faces to get our attention, to give us our sin diagnosis and remind us of the prognosis that he declared at the fall. In the day that you eat of that fruit that I forbid you, you will die. You will surely die. Just like a loving parent or teacher who knows what the child needs, who knows the consequences of the child's bad decisions or mistaken decisions. The Spirit makes us aware of our sin and the fact that we cannot treat it by our own band-aids and poultices. It's like the hound of heaven in the poem by Francis Thompson that pursues us lovingly and relentlessly and will not be put off the chase. Thompson is saying that when God pursues us and woos us, we can run, but we can't hide. We can reject the diagnosis or we can accept it. Either way, it's still the diagnosis. And then we can hear the treatment. You must be born again. When a physical birth happens, a tiny new living being comes out of a bigger pre-existing being so that it can continue to grow and mature. And it seems logical in our way of thinking and understanding the physical world that that's how it has to be. What exactly is Jesus talking about, though, with this, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born from above. When a physical birth happens, something small comes out of something big. Jesus was talking about a different kind of birth, a birth of the new life of his life entering into us, the infinite personal God injecting, transplanting his life into a tiny, finite, broken being, us, and forming a new creature, which instead of growing in the way we expect kids to grow, grows greater and greater with the weight of glory, which is in us. It's not an expansion outward. It's, it's greater weight of glory in us. The clues to this are all over the Old Testament. And Jesus isn't making fun of Nicodemus when he says, you, a teacher in Israel, and you don't know these things? He's actually simply saying, Nicodemus, you couldn't have really understood this because I hadn't it had not been revealed yet, even though the clues were there. God's Spirit is a different kind of life. Jesus clearly says that he is that life, not just life, but the life, a different sort of life, which he revealed to the world at the time of his choosing, the fullness of time. The world saw it first in the person of Jesus, who was truly the son of Mary, just as truly the son of God both natures in one person. If we allow him to place his life in us, we become something new like that. Being with a nature like Jesus, his life amalgamated to our life from Eve and Adam, a new creature. 
We have to become new creatures. We have to be made new. And at the moment, we present ourselves back to God as his property by right of creation and by confessing our brokenness without him, a transaction takes place. He blots out our sins and promises to separate it from us and forget it forever so that it's not counted against us, not that we stop sinning at that moment. He transplants his life into us, sort of like transplanting a healthy heart into the chest of a patient dying with end-stage cardiomyopathy, restoring that person's life and vigor with a very essential part of another life. At that moment that this transaction with God takes place, the genes of Adam and Eve are amalgamated with the life of God, and we become the new creature Paul is talking about. Oh, happy day. Oh, blessed event. A new birthday. In his sermon two weeks ago, Paul, Pastor Drew asked, why do we eat the bread and drink the juice? We, take, we do this to symbolize the taking into ourselves the life of him who freely gives himself just for that purpose. He is the tree of life. He is the river of life. He is the new birth. He said on the night before his crucifixion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. By entering us, he, he creates this new creature, either me or you or one of y'all. And he's made you with a plan that this new creature then will be able to carry out because of his life in us. That same creature, not reborn, would never come close to its purpose and made new. In my own life, I can kind of put it in about 10 minutes, I think. I was born May 7, 1949 at 12.45 p.m. at Jewish Hospital in Cincinnati. Oh, happy day. Blessed event, happy birthday. My mother was very progressive. She, it was natural childbirth, so she was somewhat like Stephanie, awake and aware of it. You can see how pleased my mother and father were by the number and poses of the pictures they took. I was brought up going to church every week, including Sunday school, and later I sang in the choir. But most of what I remember learning in Sunday school was merely post-Reformation church history. And... Singing in the choir didn't help either, since most pastors figure out there's no point in preaching to the choir. <laughs> I never really did hear this gospel. I really didn't get it. It was preached, but I didn't hear it. Blind, blindness, deafness, more diagnoses. I never really did hear this, the good news, through my childhood and my teens. I did not want to hear any imparted wisdom about life or standards of behavior. So I had oppositional defiant disorder too, from my parents or anyone else who was in a position to give me good advice. And besides, I was too busy with school and friends and sports and science projects, my ADD. My parents gave me a Bible when I was nine. This is it. This is the very one. It remained unopened in pristine condition for 12 years. I remember starting an argument with my mother when I was 12 or 13 about how unscientific and unhistorical the Bible miracles were. That was pride and prodigality talking there. I remember this so clearly because she gave me an uncharacteristically quiet reply. It's not what you think first about the miracles. It's what's important first is what you think about Jesus Christ. Who is he? 
The same question Jesus asked his disciples, who am I? This completely stopped me, and I thought it was a little odd that I couldn't think of anything to answer. I always had an answer. <clears throat> now that I see God's living spirit in myself, I can see that it was him speaking through her and in her, not like through a medium, because she was already one of those new creations. It was my mother speaking, and it was also Christ in her speaking, both. And both were speaking a loving invitation, but I was unaware then. In college, I continued to pursue my life on the basis of enlightened reason, or so I thought, or the reason of the enlightenment anyway. But the more I ignored the problem of sin, that is, why is there evil, particularly why is there evil in me, the more I was bothered by the problem of being, that is, why is there anything rather than nothing? Is there any meaning in it? I still don't make sense of Descartes' statement, I think, therefore I am. I, I, I'm not existing because I think. There's some other reason. I'm created, therefore I am. Unsolved, the problem of being and the problem of sin undermined and eroded my very self, my identity. When I couldn't live up to my own preconceptions of who I was and who I should be and what I should be doing, my sense of self and identity was shaken and then broken. And this needed to happen because that identity was faulty and based on false presuppositions. I was also bothered that in several thousand years, I'd be forgotten. That's another diagnosis, megalomania. If you think it's going to take several thousand years for them to forget you. And I was even more bothered that a few billion years after that, the sun would blow up and burn out and the universe would end in a fizzle of very dark, low-frequency energy. This is really true, by the way. Uh, with no intervention from God, this is where our universe is heading. I was a physics major. I know this stuff. <laughs> and nothing would have meant anything anyway. That bothered me, the problem of being and meaning. Well, seeing no purpose to it, I quit college after three years, never intending to go back. The first decent job I, could, I landed was at Beverly Hospital north of Boston as a respiratory therapist. I liked the job and felt comfortable with it. But I was very uncomfortable with all the evangelical Christians crawling around in that, uh, that department. <laughs> the hospital is only three miles or four miles from Gordon-Conwell Seminary and Gordon College. And a lot of students and spouses of students work there. And they weren't even embarrassed to explain to me God's intention to reconcile the world and each one of us individually, and me in particular, to himself by redeeming us from our disease. That S word again. They use the S word a lot. Gosh. By taking penalty for all of our sin on himself and by making us new creatures into new creatures. It's not going to make a new creature. If I give him the material, will he make a new creature for me too? Yeah, actually, yes, that's what we have to do. We give him the material, at least our empty selves. By making us into new creatures fit for eternal fellowship with him and by powerfully equipping us to be proper stewards of the world. That fall, the fall of 1970, something opened up and lit up inside me. I began to hear the gospel that I hmm, had vibrated past my ears many times before, but I had not heard it. Listen and listen, but do not hear. 
The Bible, that Bible, this Bible that had been closed for 12 years was now open. Now it's full of annotations and prayers. It even had to be rebound completely. It was falling apart, and it's getting to that same point again. Over a period of many months, I was hearing the Spirit. Not in these ears, but in these ears. The eyes of my heart were opened. I understood the gospel for the first time. I understood that he would not forcibly enter into my life, but to accept his invitation to come into my life, I would have to turn myself over to him, body and soul. If you want to get the clay jar filled up, you have to bring it to the filling station. And there's no self-service for this. Look it up in 2 Corinthians 4.7. The only action I can do to be born again is to say yes to him. I cannot earn it. He's already done all the planning and all the work and is now issuing the invitations. It's a little scary to remember this, but I put off that invitation for several months before answering. I understood that if I gave myself to him to let him pay off my sin debt, sin to put his life himself into me, then I could never go back. The old creature that was me didn't want to let go of the right to have certain things in life that my wisdom and my wishes had decided were good for me. The old creature in me did not want to let go of the right to indulge in sins, neither in the general nor the particular. The old creature didn't want to die, knowing that it must. But God is God, and there is no other. He is God, and I am not. I'm his creature. He knows me far better than I do, than I know me. He knows my needs before I know them. He knows the purpose for which he created me. On Tuesday, April 6, 1971, at 11.35 p.m. at Beverly Hospital, I prayed in a new way. I had sometimes prayed contingently, God, if you're there, da-da-da-da, or prayed daring him to answer, <clears throat> I won't believe you unless you appear to me in a burning bush like you did to Moses. I knew he was there. I said yes to his invitation. He had already made it clear to me how he would answer. This could be your prayer right now, today. If the Spirit has been talking to you, pursuing you, wooing you recently, or for many years, or possibly has been speaking to you in these last few minutes, or spoke to you once a long time ago, and you've drifted away, the cares of the world, ADD, Autism. If he's been speaking to you, why not say something back now? It could be something like this. This is what I prayed. Yes, I agree that you are God and I'm your creature. I have avoided knowing you personally all these years. I have been in defiant rebellion all these years. I can't make myself new, but you can. I don't have eternal life, but you do. I don't have a way to deal with my sin, but you do. I don't know how to run my life, and I made a pretty good mess of it trying to, and I hurt a lot of other people in the process. So from now on, you're the boss, and I belong to you. I give up all rights to demand anything in my life or anything from you, but instead I hold my hands open to receive anything that in your loving wisdom suits your purpose for which you created me. And I understand that you will keep your promise to complete this process, no matter how weak I am 
and never let me fall away from you forever. And I prayed in Jesus' name. Oh, happy day, blessed event, a new creature, a birthday. Amen. Let's uh, continue in a time of prayer where we also continue to listen, that we um, are in touch, that we set aside the distractions that can so easily pull us aside, the noise that can drown out the voice of the Spirit within our ears and here. Maybe it's a, a time simply of rejoicing at that happy day. Or maybe it's a time of seeking that joy of that happy day that somehow is gone. Maybe the diagnosis might even be arthritis today, spiritual arthritis, where it's just we're stuck, we're hard to move in the spirit. Or maybe today is indeed that blessed birthday that you've been running you've been hiding you've been trying to do it on your own and you simply need to let it all go let's let's pray together Dear Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise. We rejoice in your grace, the gift of your love for us, of life and life to the full, physical birth and spiritual birth, of the wholeness of life that we have in you. We rejoice and celebrate your, your offer of being a new creation in you. And we ask that you would continue to work not only in us individually, but in us as a community of faith, as a group of people following Jesus. Break us loose of those things that can distract us. Overtake those ways that we become too busy. Bring your power in our midst to pull us out of the ways in which we are stuck in you. And we ask that you will continue in the power of your spirit to work in us as a community as well. So that we might indeed be witnesses to you, a, a witness to you as a people. And that others might grow weary of being surrounded by those that know you and love you and seek to share you, share uh, them, share you with them and might indeed turn to you and receive 
the life to the full that you have for us. Gracious God, as well, we take this time and we, we lift up one another to you. And we continue to pray for your healing hand upon Bob Worth and Neva King. Give you thanks for uh, Elsa Shirk and celebrating her 99th birthday this week. We give you thanks for the Interfaith Hospitality Network that we were so privileged to house homeless families in this particular building during the course of this week. And we pray your blessing upon each of those families. We ask your blessing upon the family of Ernie Lewis, a minister who served here in the 60s, who died this week, and rejoice in the power of the resurrection for him. And we lift up Caroline and Jerry Burlman this week as they travel to Okinawa, where their son lives, has been diagnosed with cancer, having complications. We pray for their safety and the uh, 48 hours it'll take them to get there and for these next several weeks of walking with with him we lift up these concerns as we lift up one another in the mighty name of Jesus we pray amen